Hi, guys and gals, and welcome to the Disrupt Ed podcast, where we discuss new and innovative ideas in education and mix in a few healthy rants for good measure. Our goal is to give you ideas to reimagine your classrooms and communities. Hope you enjoy it. So this interview is really fun. I met Natasha through uh, a couple of, of uh, people in my network that were getting together some people uh, to, to start some cool new initiatives in education, kind of blending the classroom and community and things like that. People like Jason Dunnick and, and Jeff Pattison. And they pulled her in because of her background, uh, Sam Bowen as well at Ridgewater College. And I, I had never met her, never heard of her, but immediately you could tell she was passionate about what she does about the future of education and how education really needs to, you know, kind of be broken to be fixed again. And so finally I got to sit down with her and hear about her past and hear about, uh, you know, what her vision is for education in the future. And, um, really you get the sense from listening to her, how passionate she is about kids and, and learning and, and agriculture and agribusiness and all sorts of things like that. Things that I have absolutely no background in. So it was really fun and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. And you graduated from there, went to school. Did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah, I okay. actually, so I grew up on a farm and I was never really super proud of it. Okay. As a kid, it was a lot of work. This is prior to GMOs, which I love and think are the greatest I thing saw, ever. I saw that sticker on the back of the car. Yeah, I love GMOs. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bag too. I I love them. <laughs> they have changed. They have changed agriculture in such a good way. We wouldn't be able to feed the people we need to feed mm -hmm. without them. No, and they're better for the environment. I'm. Right. I mean, if there's an environmentalist farmer, it's me. I'm a huge soil fan, sure. and uh, I, I look at conservation as something that farmers all course need to be worried about right. um gmos will allow us to do that more everything more efficiently use less water use less everything so yeah. it's it's a really good thing anyway side note yep. um so i actually joined my first agricultural education class in ninth grade my teacher was chuck erickson and the very first day of class i thought holy moly this is so awesome like we get to learn about farming and like it's cool yeah that's neat you how, know how many like, how many kids in that class were actually farmers? Mm -hmm. And then how many were girls? Um, I would say probably 20% girls, maybe 30. Okay. Um, and farmers, um, probably like 60%. Okay. Honestly, back then, it's much different so now. So like, these are my people. Yeah, they're my people. And okay. it was like, we talked about stuff that I thought, wow, this like people think this is cool. That's neat. Right. I, do I mean, this like, every day. yeah, I grew up on the farm in the 80s and it was tough. I mean, sure. the 80s were kind of like now yeah i mean honestly we're back in that mentality um so uh i don't know i was like it was cool again and then i went to my first national ffa convention a huge ffa or in 4 -H -er, and i decided in ninth grade like this is what i wanted this is amazing like sure. i want to i want people to feel good about agriculture and and i didn't even really know it was a big deal until okay then. yeah um in ninth grade that was when you joined ffa yes okay mm -hmm. that's the earliest you could and so i so I graduated from Wilmer High School, which mm -hmm. compared to Benson is like much bigger. Mm -hmm. And I was always lived in the city. And FFA to me was just a bunch of farming kids. Mm -hmm. And now, being that I'm in this thing called CEO, which is sort of the same world, mm -hmm. I love FFA more than I've ever loved it. Not because it's about farming. I don't care about that at all. Not mm -hmm. that I don't care about farming, but I think it's irrelevant. The skills that they're covering 
are the exact same things that we do. Yep, the we leadership just, development yeah, is huge. We just use a flavor of business and you guys use a flavor of agriculture. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on a farm and, and I was in 4-H, but I didn't really find out I was a leader until I was an FA. I didn't okay. know I didn't know that about myself until you start having training and, and you learn I love to talk to people. And I mean, I went from being a pretty, I've always been really talkative, okay. um, but from a kid who was very unsure of herself to a state FFA officer when I was a senior in high school, I was elected. And that, that was a huge jump from where what I was. What does that mean, uh, an elected officer? What does that mean? Like so um, there are regional officers, um, chapter officers okay. locally, and then regional. We have eight regions in Minnesota. Okay. And then we also have state officers, and there's six of them that are elected. And you got voted and in. I, and okay. I was chosen. Yeah, but it was, it was a long interview process. Okay. And you have to go through a lot of interviews to get to the, the end. And it was really, really cool. Were you also in other activities? Yes, I was a big drama brat. Okay, so uh, yep, into loved theater. theater. Okay. Uh, a, I mean, one acts, musicals, plays. I just loved all of it. Um, so that actually helped me be a good teacher. Right. You know, three quarters After. drama and yeah. quarter knowledge. You know. <laughs> I promise this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if you act like a moron every day, like the kids take it. So right. it's cool. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely love that. I was in some sports, but gave up on those by about tenth grade. Okay. Uh, not my thing. I, I'm not good at sports. I pretended for a while. <laughs> Um, 4-H, I was in 4-H for 12 years, showed livestock, uh, right. and really just loved it. all the leadership stuff I could do there. Like state well. fair, you went to the state fair? Oh yeah, every year. I think I've missed the state fair like three times in my whole life, I don't know. I, I, I spend almost all 12 days there now. Sure, my, the only exposure of my kids, I have six, five, and nine months, is like the county fair, the state fair. And I see all of my mm -hmm. students that are in 4-H and they're having a lot of fun, and I'm yeah. like, but there's like a pile of poo everywhere. Like, yeah. and, and they... It's like their yeah. vacation time. Oh yeah, I mean, our vacations now as a family, I have a 13 and 11 year old that show cattle and my daughter shows horses. And that's our vacations in the summer, our cattle shows and horse shows, that's all we do. Okay. That's the only places we go. So you, when you went to college or wherever you went, mm -hmm. I'm guessing there are not, are there FFA things like in college? Yeah, so I went to the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, okay. and got my undergrad in, in uh, agricultural education. Okay. And uh, they have Egg Ed Club, so we do a lot of FFA support. Sure. Um, I helped with Ryan State contests. Uh, they do have collegiate FFA, and okay. we have a really active alumni for FFA nationwide. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still to this day, I coach contests and am involved even after being an egg teacher. So, you went and got a teaching job mm -hmm. where? Uh, so I graduated from the U of M and got my first interview in Morris, got the job. So I've had two interviews in my whole life, which is pretty awesome. You want no more, right? <laughs> No, I really like what I'm doing. But uh, yeah, so I taught in Morris for 14 years Okay. and uh, took a program that was, I uh, had been through a lot of change. Which program? The egg program? In Morris. Okay. Yep, the egg program and the FFA program. Had got a it. lot of changing teachers over the, the year prior sure. um, and took it and just ran with it and and got kids excited about egg. It was really fun. And you still do some of that? Um, yep, I volunteer a lot in a lot okay. of various chapters. So at Riverview, they really wanted to enhance their reach into agricultural education as a company. Okay. So, and I think this is where agribusiness is gonna go, is sure. saying we need to be part of the solution because we cannot leave it up to just egg teachers to teach all the people in the world about <laughs> agriculture. Well, so a lot of my job well, is being in schools. So mm -hmm. um, even with lower kids, we have them touring and, 
and things like that. But we're uh, all sorts of schools in there. We've actually gone from one person of what I do. Um, I helped develop the job two and a half years ago. Okay. Um, we are now up to four people in the last six months. So we have, we're adding people to do what I do, which is just be part of schools, get kids on the farm, give them hands-on activities to do, make connections for um, teachers to the people that work with us so that right. they can be in classrooms or you know even just email them for information. Um, but it's just a connection. And then people. also helping kids understand like, this is a, a dynamic career. This isn't grandma's yes. farm anymore. No, there we just hired a full-time talent acquisition director, which Recruiter. means we are so far behind in finding good people. Right. We are just searching. And and what you're doing with CEO and what FFA does and 4-H and I mean even sports. I mean every right. these these organizations that are building leaders, those are the kids we want. Right. So we want to encourage kids to just be involved and learn those skills. So here's a question for you. you you're mentioning leadership a lot, which is obviously important. We both mm -hmm. kind of know what that means. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for a kid? How do you know that a kid has leadership? And then how do you think you give it to them? I think that giving kids experiences to okay. practice leadership is really important. So things like putting them in front of a crowd and right. giving them a chance to talk to them. Um, I think holding networking things are Got really it. important. I know your gala that you guys do. I used to bring my kids. I brought them out to Riverview actually, and they'd set up tables and they had snacks and drinks and they had to figure out how to do all that and have a conversation with somebody sure. um, about things that are important and right. to trade business cards. And um, I think that it's all practice. Uh, I think that kids are definitely born with skills or develop skills as a young person that make them a strong leader, but that doesn't mean somebody with low skills cannot learn them and become a good leader. Right. You know, it's all experience. So all of these different things these kids are in, teach them little different things. Because I will tell you that my biggest development as a person came as a teacher. Sure. I, I developed more as a teacher than I developed in anything growing up or any other you know thing I've done since then, but that's what made me who I am today. One question with that is, did you become the teacher you were going to become from what you learned in college or from when you actually started a job? <laughs> no, I don't know if I learned much in college that helped me. Um, you know, you learn so much stuff in college that's so above um, a student level. Um, most of the things I learned in my agricultural education classes at the U of M were too advanced for most kids. Sure. So I started all over when I started teaching with everything. I mean, even learning how to teach, it was, again, it's experience. Right. It's doing it and figuring out, well, that's dumb today. You know, I was really bad at that lesson, but I'm going to make it better next time. Uh, and developing those relationships with those kids. What, uh, what role did, like, the administration have in you coming in? and giving you the latitude to actually build a program? Mm -hmm. Like, did it take money? Did, like, what, what role did they take in this, if they took any, yep. other than just letting you do your thing? Yeah, so I would say um, my first principal was George Morrow, okay. and he let me do whatever I wanted because he knew I was capable. Sure. Um, and I was right out of college and real green. Um, but he saw something in me to just be like, just go do it, do what you got to do. Right. Um, money was tight. Um, however, uh, we were smart about our money and how we use it. I've become a very thrifty person even today because of how I had to teach. Sure. Um, but our community in, in Morris was so awesome. And I could never have done it without the community support. And now as a person in the community at an agribusiness, business, yeah. We are there supporting those eight teachers. I mean, I wanted a tractor. We figured it out. Like people don't to buy money. a tractor for the yep. kids. I wanted to build a greenhouse. I wrote some grants, and the people gave me money. You know, it's just people just came out of the woodwork because they right. saw the kids and what they were doing, and they believed in them. I mean, we had a pork producers president come to us and say, "We think you should take these kids to the to Minneapolis to teach the kids about egg." 
I mean, that's... Inner city kids? Yep. This is a big deal, right? Because right. they want the kids to go teach them. They don't They don't necessarily want to. They think they're sure. capable, right? Yeah. So that was a huge thing for me, for them to come and say, your kids are awesome. Take them and help them teach other people about agriculture. And so we started a program that's still going today. We had 1,600 kids attend last year from Minneapolis. And Paul. definitely a leadership thing. Oh, yeah. And those kids are all leaders in a different way. Because leadership isn't one thing. You right. know, leadership is so many different... Um, characteristics that kids can have that they can be leaders but it doesn't look like the next person right so how did you grade that's my question <laughs> oh I don't know if I want to tell anyone <laughs> um so I definitely had we used Kano books is what I called them it was like K-N-O-W like yeah. I know that so we used those a lot and they'd very often be I'd look at them and I'd check mark things and that was that was their reflection on everything we learned I sure. cared more about that than a test grade. I want to see what they what they knew about. Right. So that was like I th that was a big part of their grade was what did you actually learn? What did you actually take away from this? Yep. Um, I didn't do a lot of tests. Um, a lot of the way I knew if kids knew something or not was way easier than a test. Tests take a long time to write. Take a long time to grade. Right. My way of testing was you tell me what you know, you show me what you know, let's do it. Right. And if they could do it, then they learned it. And and it was way easier to manage a classroom that way. Yes. And the kids loved it. Because in the real world, we don't take a test. No. You know, we are showing people that we know how, and that's how we advance. And we need to teach kids that you need to show people what you can do, and you will go. You will, right. you will get the job. You will get the new duties. You will get the, the raise. You will get all that stuff. Yeah, companies hire skills, not GPAs. Uh, yeah, your GPA doesn't even matter. No. No. It doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> right. I, I, I fully agree. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one other thing you mentioned that... Um, different types of leaders. Mm -hmm. So how did you, when you're running programs like this, you have kids that are quieter, mm -hmm. you have kids that are more outgoing. How do you like sort of objectively measure their growth? I'm a very individual, uh, I was a very individual grader and okay. I still grade people. I mean, it's just like who I am. But I can tell when I meet a person what their skills are, right? right? And I mean, their growth is their personal growth. You can't compare them to anybody else. Sure. That's why you just got to get to know your kids, which is the most important part of teaching, in my opinion, right. is getting to know who they are. I mean, I could have, I'd have a lot of rough kind of kids come in, because I was yep. the agriculture teacher. I taught welding. I taught, you know, the, the shop classes, too. So you'd get some of those kids who hated school. They hated everything. But I would dig so hard into those kids to figure out, what do you love? Right. What is your passion? And, man, I would just... I would talk about it all the time with them. Sure. Oh, I learned this or I learned that. I'd like YouTube stuff and figure stuff out so I could just talk to them about it. Damn. And they were in, I had them in my hands. I mean, they, right. they would do anything and they were not naughty for me ever because they knew that I appreciated their skills. Yeah. So it, teaching is very individual. You cannot put, and, and one of the things I don't like about the educational system is that we put all these kids in one big bucket and you just can't do that. I mean, you can't give them all one test. You can't give them all one assignment. You know, make things make things open and let them find their passion within that. Because in the real world, they need to be passionate about what they're doing. And if they're not, they're going to stink at it. Right. You know, so we need to teach. Yeah, go mm -hmm. quit. So we need to help them figure out what they're passionate about. And we can easily do that because right. we can, as teachers, not be so stuck on the test and not be so stuck. And I know some people don't have a choice. And right. the whole educational system needs to be thrown out and redone. Um, but there are countries that are doing it right. And right. there are places in the U.S. that are doing some pretty cool and different things. So I think that we all just need to keep that in mind when we're thinking about how we assess kids. Right. Yeah. Well, well you know, PLCs or professional learning communities yeah. are like super popular and have mm -hmm. been for a while. 
And uh, I've met a few schools now that are working through this. So there are like four essential questions to a PLC and mm -hmm. they're having all their staff do the, these questions. And um, nowhere on those questions are, is there a question that's related to why should kids care? Mm -hmm. You know, it's what do they know? How do we know they know it? What do we do with kids that don't know it? And, and kind of like that, but nowhere do they, you know, do teachers, are teachers encouraged to emphasize to their students why this is important mm -hmm. or how it actually translates to the real world? Right. We are teaching them to the test. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, doesn't it feel like teachers are, we, we found our niche. You found it in agriculture mm -hmm. because it's very real. Mm -hmm. I found it in entrepreneurship because it's very real, at least today. Mm -hmm. And how do you teach, you know, how would the calculus teacher teach in the same way that you and I get a chance to do? That's a great question. So if it's not usable in real life, then I don't really understand why we're teaching it to kids. I know that math, for example, I'm really bad at math. However, I love geometry if I'm landscaping. Sure. I love, I mean, we're always trying to find an X. I tell them my daughter's in algebra and she's okay. like, I hate algebra, it is horrible. <laughs> I'm like, Grace, you are always trying to find X all the time. Right. Or A or B or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and we'll do examples when we're out in the cattle barn and we're trying to figure something out. I'm like, we're looking for X. Right. Okay, I totally get it. So if we taught in that way, it would make sense. But I don't think that always happens. I think that it's harder for teachers maybe to start teaching that way, but eventually becomes easier because let's make the kids part of the teaching process. Let's make them figure out questions to ask and solve questions. problems. Yeah, and solve probably real problems, right. right? So I think that there's always a way to do it. I think that as teachers, we need to encourage our administration to look at things differently as well because they have, I mean, everybody has a lot of pressure on them all yes. the way from the top. Right. So it's easy to say, oh, that administrator, that, or that school board member, this, yeah. but they all are pressured from all over the place. So they all feel the same pressure. It's just different. It's a different right. person pressuring them. So we as a whole need to just have more discussions and we need to open things up a little bit to some options for kids. When I grew up, graduated in 1997, they have choices in school. Um, I think that one of the biggest mistakes we're making right now is we're pushing kids so hard into four-year schools. I already told my kids, you will, you will both start at a two-year school. I, that is what is going to happen. Number one, to save you some money because it's really expensive. <laughs> yes. And number two, because I think that tech schools and community colleges do an amazing job. And they're learning things they can actually use. I wish I could go back. I would have gone to Ridgewater before I went to the U. Because my classmates that did that learned way better hands-on skills than I did right. at the University of Minnesota, which is one of the best schools. And still today, what, what, when I'm working with, with teachers at the high school level, it is, well, they need to know this for college. And they need to do this for college. And I, mm -hmm. I, I understand that's the next step after high school. But there's only like four years of college, maybe a couple years longer. And the people that are going to go be doctors, they're going to go learn what they need to learn yeah. in medical school. Or engineers. Or yep. Or, or whatever. whatever. Um, yeah. I, I'm, my shtick right now really is if education is such a small percentage of the time we spend in our lives. Mm -hmm. And if, if we're only teaching to that sort of bubble of life, then the rest of their lives, we're, we're missing opportunities to teach them things that could like revolutionize their path forever mm -hmm. instead of just well they need this next year in this class or they need this for the test or they need this for college mm -hmm. um, one of the things i'm working on right now is well I, i'm trying to decide if our high school should still pay for academic journal like subscriptions so kids can do research in academic journals 
I have never, and I don't know about you, I've never researched an academic journal when not in school. Well, I have a lot of opinions about that. I've, I've never used one. Have you ever in real um, life used an academic journal? No, and I know scientists. So right. I sometimes look at some of the science that's being done and it's done because it, they need to do something. Really? You know, I mean, it's like they, they well, yeah, that to be a professor at the University of Minnesota, you are research. required to do research. So some of the things I see people research and I think, really? Like we're wasting money on that? Sure. However, I mean, science is wonderful. We're always doing science. Right. You know, all of us are doing science, science experiments all the time. Um, but we can teach kids in a different way to do real world stuff. A lot of that stuff you, I, I get what you're saying. I yeah. mean, I think that we need to encourage kids to do and not just read. Right. You know, I think reading is great and reading is important and looking at history is really important so we don't make the same mistakes. Yep. However, I do think that we need to teach kids to do. And I, I, I mean, we have kids that are afraid to get their hands dirty. I don't know what that's going to be like for them. Or to say hello to an adult. Yes. Yeah. To, to even have a conversation. Mm -hmm. they're, they're nervous about it and, um, you know, 99% of their communication is digital. Yes. So my sister, who was in college... She would probably not hear this, I hope. <laughs> she uh, was gonna, she's never had a job. Okay. She's in her senior year of college. She, her mom told her um, to get a job after high school at a grocery store. And her answer was, then I would have to talk to people. <laughs> yes. So it's very intriguing to me how you can have people that are so literally scared to death to have a conversation with somebody. But they can, but they have a good GPA. Yeah, and she works her butt off. I mean, she's like an architecture school. Like she's crazy smart. Right. Can't talk to anyone. Let's pivot one one thing here. One thing I'm really interested with you and why I wanted to talk to you is you were like seduced out of education. <laughs> yeah. Is that the right word? Um, slightly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was my choice, yeah. but yeah. But um, offered, yes. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so you did that, and like what were the push, what were the pulls, like – and now when you look back, what, you know, would you do it the same? And um, like, how does your opinion of education change now that you're not in the trenches versus, versus what it was then? So right. how did it start? And you know, what were the push-pull factors? Sure, so uh, I loved teaching. I still love teaching that. Luckily, I found a job where that's what I still get to do. Sure. Um, I would say that I think a lot of teachers live in a fog of education. And the fog doesn't allow you to see the outside. Or think. No, or think about the outside right. at all or about anything. Really. Yes. Um, normal, I mean, honestly, you just don't have the time, the energy, the capacity right. to think. And I was totally just, like, you just get robotic about it. It's like, yeah. oh, another year. Oh, another year. And right. you just get so used to the, the world that you're in. And for me, I had never experienced anything else. So I was so sucked into it that I didn't even know what it was like on the outside. You've been in education since you were five or six. Yeah, I mean, really, right. I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. So uh, I unfortunately um, had some administration at the time that made it really easy for me to go. Got it. Um, and, factor. Yep. And I just, I was just sick and tired of being held down and having a thumb on me. And sure. I, that's not who I am. And I know what I should do and I know how to do it right. Right. And I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had the trust in me to do that. So it was pretty, it took me a long time to decide. Um, but you know, that first year out of education was probably the toughest 
because why, you're why so well, you're, you're just in the fog. Yeah. Like you don't actually know that what it's like to be in a culture where you're appreciated, where you're given the the reins to just go and figure out what you think is right and teach people the way you think is right. I no longer have to live by the educational model. I don't have to live by standards. I don't have to live by that. I get to teach what I know is right to teach. Right. And I love that. I find it ironic because what you're talking about with the fog is your inability to learn. Mm-hmm. You're so you're so just 100% of your energy and yeah. everything and maybe more is dedicated to like getting the, st- the stuff done for the next stuff mm-hmm. to come. You know those glasses they wear for basketball to dribble? You know, they wear them, they wear them and they can't see down. Oh, I see. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my, my son has a pair of those. Yep. So he doesn't look at his hands when he dribbles. Right. And I feel like that's what teaching is. It's like, all you can do is look forward. You can't even look down. Yeah. All you can do is look forward and you just feel like that's the only direction. And that's sad. I agree. And, and, and like I was saying, it's just ironic that they're in the profession of educating people, Mm -hmm. but they're never really allowed to learn because like we've been talking about, learning is doing things yeah, and right. making things. Mm-hmm. And they are essentially, you know, they're just sort of bound by their job. And I think that's why, and maybe you agree, why we have some cynical teachers is they've been in it for so long. Oh, gosh, you can't even blame them. Yeah, that I can't no. blame them. They're, they're, they're just... If I would have stayed in another 20 years... I don't know what would happen to me. <laughs> I mean, I already was at the point where you're just kind of like angry about something. And you don't really know why. No, but... and you're frustrated all the time. Right. And that is really wearing on a soul. You know, like you just are there to teach kids and you're there because you, you really want to. I think you just forget right. why you're there. Yes. Because you don't have time to think about why you're there. And you... no one really talks about why. No, but I think everyone went there for the same reason. Yes. But then you get so sucked into the world around you and it's just. As soon as you enter, it's like you have this to do and this to do and this expectation, and you better meet this or you're going to be here, or you're going right. to be there, and that's all you can think about. What advice would you give teachers now that are still sort of clinging to the hope? Like mm-hmm. they still have that why they're there, but they're finding themselves kind of being drawn into the politics and drawn into the doldrums of education, the same thing over every year, mm-hmm. without really ever being able to like empty the cup and start from scratch totally you know, on their own, what advice would you give them to, to try to, you know, kind of renew that? Well, I think an active classroom is number one. So what do you mean by that? I mean by, like, if somebody walked in, it wouldn't look, it would look like chaos. Got it. But organized chaos. My classroom was always busy. Right. And the reason that I think I taught as long as I did was because my kids just fed me. Okay. They were given, you know, keep in mind it's how to agriculture. No yeah. tests. Right. No, nothing. I don't. Got, I have to worry about that. So I can't really even talk to people that have to deal with that because I don't really understand that world. Sure. Um, but giving kid, making kids part of the education was very important to me. I did not know everything. There is no way on God's green earth I can know everything about agriculture. It is. Sure. It, it's huge. It's humongous. Yeah. Um, so making the kids part of that, they ask me a question. I have no idea. Look, let's look it up, and you're going to tell everyone tomorrow. Right. You know that was homework. It yeah. was real stuff. And that fed me as a teacher. Sure. Um, I think that if, if you're a teacher that gets really sucked into drama, you need to find a way to not do that because that drama is everywhere, right. you know, and right. especially in schools because it just seems to just bleed all over the place when people are so focused on forward only. Sure. Um, so I think that's really big. I think teachers unions, I'm probably going to tick someone off right now, but I do not like them. And I think that they are a crutch. 
And I think that we use them in a negative way and we need to use them positively. Can we change it? Absolutely, we can change it. Right. But we need to keep it all positive because negativity only breeds negativity. Isn't it interesting that um, the majority of staff development, the majority of what teachers unions fight are kind of the border between what is fireable and what's not. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it would be just like a student walking to your class and saying, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Mortensen, what's the least amount of work I have to do here to, to not fail? Yeah. And we or do what that. do I have to do to get kicked out? Like, yeah. where's the line? Right. Exactly yeah. where is the line? Yeah. And that's that's one of my big my big passions right now too in education is we are worried about punishment on the border of being fired and not mm -hmm. being fired, and all of our arguments are there instead of creating opportunities to incentivize new mm -hmm. and and without punishing mistakes. So there are probably a lot of things that you tried that didn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're trying to do lots of different things. And um, because you were in a field that sort of embraced that, you're okay. But if you're a math teacher that's got a test coming up, you know, and and you try some new tactic and the test scores drop by five percent, they're going to get some pressure. Like they right. don't really have the freedom to experiment like you and I get to every day. Mm -hmm. And so I I do think we need to change the conversation to how do we create teacher leaders and how do we support them Absolutely. instead of talking about like who's barely employable. And teacher. we need to let teachers go on staff development things. I mean, it was like an act of God to go anywhere and right. to get money for it. I mean, if, if agribusiness treated their employees that way, they would fail. Right. I mean, I am, I am given leeway to choose where I need to go to make myself ready for my job. Sure. And teachers can't do that. And then no. they're teaching all our kids. That doesn't right. make any sense. And it's too hard to be gone. It's too hard to get the money to be gone because conferences are expensive. I mean, we got like $300 or something per teacher. And you have to prep for your sub. It's yeah. actually more work it's to more be gone. It's more work to be gone. And yeah. even being sick, I mean, teachers just go to work sick because it's so horrible to be gone. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I was at, I think one th important thing I was thinking about when you were chatting there was that I think students, we reward them too much for like like tangible things that just, sure. that are kind of ridiculous, you know, especially young kids. And I have kids that are, are just kind of getting through elementary, Cohen is. And okay. I think it's really important we consider that people need reinforcement, positive reinforcement every seven days. Hmm. So we need to hear things that are positive every seven days. So if you can just give your kids positive reinforcement in the classroom, every seven days, so every week, everybody gets some kind of compliment. Right. It could even be they got a D plus and not a D minus. Yep. Whatever, right? They're gonna start doing more for you and they're gonna feel better about school. You're talking about forming relationships with kids. Oh, it's all about everything. The whole world's about relationships. I Everything have, is. I have heard a teacher say, it's not my job to like them. It's not my job to make them like me. How do you respond to that? Um, I think that that is probably holding back the effectiveness of that teacher. Everything is about relationships. Right. Those kids, if you respect them, they respect you, you are going to get way farther, especially people teaching to a test. You want those kids to buy into a test? Right. Then you need to make them feel good about where they're at. And that could just be giving them props every once in a while. Sure. You know, every kid needs that. I always remembered as a teacher, and I still do today, that you have no idea what that kid's life is like right. outside of that school. You could be the only person who says a nice thing to them all day or a week long or a month long. I mean, what a powerful thing that you could do for those kids. You can change their life just by being nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's funny that you mentioned that because my mom, maybe this summer sometime, she's like, hey, she she calls me, hey, we, uh, we ordered a pizza. And... 
um, a kid delivered our pizza and saw our name on the credit card slip and was like, oh, are you Mr. Gerking's wife? Which she thought was amazing, by the way. She, <laughs> I bet. That this kid thought that she was my, mm -hmm. you know, my wife. And um, and then she said, oh yeah, I really like Mr. Gerking. Um, he was one of my favorite teachers, which is awesome to hear. Like you love hearing that as a mm -hmm. teacher. And every, every teacher has gotten to hear that, which is cool. And she said, oh yeah, well, what class did you have him? Oh, I never had him for a class. He just said hi to me a couple times. Yeah, it's so powerful. That's sad. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Teachers um, don't necessarily realize, I think, the impact they have on, all, on these kids. Right. Just being nice and being happy. You know, I, I remember I had a student teacher once and she said to me, you know, she knew like my life, what was happening in my life and I had something bad going on or I was having a bad day. Sure. She's like, as soon as you walk in that classroom, you would smile on your face and you were told the kids you were excited to see them that day. Right. And that's why they like to be there. It yeah. had nothing to do with what we were going to do that day. You could have done anything. Yeah, they, they didn't care. Right. Mm -mm. They, they just felt good to be there. And when you're teaching a class, when you're teaching anything, you automatically have to form a relationship because you're expecting them to be vulnerable. You're expecting mm -hmm. them to do things they've never done before, yep. which means they have to be a little vulnerable. Yep. But yet, if you also say, well, it's not my job to get them to like me, or it's not my job to form a relationship, they are never going to be vulnerable. No, and you're missing out on a huge opportunity. Right. To teach, which is what we're trying to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, creating comfort in the classroom for students to feel safe and just feel loved is number one. I mean, we think of the ARP of needs, right? It's like right. we got to do all that. Yeah. If we don't, then forget it. They're right. not gonna. They're not gonna do it. Um, what about a teacher? Would you Would you say that it would be smart for a teacher just to, if they want to start something different or somehow expand their classroom, just to, regardless of their subject, just go out and just find a community person? that like start calling around or mm -hmm. or maybe reach out to your chamber person and say like right hey, that's a great idea you know yep. i have this i teach this class maybe it's calculus i teach mm -hmm. calculus and it's really important i love what i do but i'd like to expand my classroom a little bit who should i talk to mm -hmm. so i had what i called the community speakers bureau okay and one of my classes was called uh, career skills and we brought in someone every week Sure. And they talked about something a little different. Like I, I just kind of asked around, got to know some people in the community. I pulled people from church. I pulled people from the university, some coaches. Right. And they come in and they just tell their story. Right. And that was awesome. Those kids would have never learned that stuff all from me. No. You know, it, it takes a community to raise a kid. So we need to use those people. And it's not that hard. No, I mean, not. your chamber of commerce here is stellar. Yes, it is. So I would use them if I was a teacher because I, I, I would say that in all the communities I'm in a lot, this one, I mean, is pretty fantastic. You have people here that care about these kids and people that want to be a part and, and think out of the box, right? So if you teach math or science, you have, I mean, just right here in the Midwest Technology Campus, you have people that use it every day. Right. So bring them in and, and talk on, about On the cutting edge. And, yeah. On the cutting edge. Holy moly, you have some companies in this town, and I know the egg world better than the others, but yeah. you have people here that would love to come in. And I think the most important part is that, you know, I try to encourage business people to call up their school and say, I want to come in, like, when can I come? But teachers need to ask, because people do want to do it, they just aren't sure how to ask you, exactly. and they're not sure maybe what you want them to, to share. But just give them some ideas on what they can share with your students. Right. And, you know, how do you use math every day? That's, that's the only question. And then they come in and they talk about it. Sure. Plant some questions. You know, have questions made up that the students can pull from. Yep. And just get those people in your classrooms. Because they're going to introduce them to careers. 
and they're going to show leadership development skills that they have developed throughout um, as they've gotten older and worked in business. I find it so ironic that in today's world, you can literally do whatever you want and you can learn it immediately. Mm -hmm. But yet our kids graduating today, especially the kids that are going to four-year colleges because they're sort of socially expected to because mm -hmm. their parents did or all their friends are or right. they have enough. Pushed into it. Yeah. Right. Everyone. At school. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Um, they ironically, they have absolutely no idea what to do and they think because there's nothing to do. They think mm -hmm. there's nothing to pick. They can't see any paths. We're well, going to agriculture. Holy moly. There's lots of jobs. <laughs> we have so many jobs. We can, we have, right. And we have no idea what the jobs will be. That's the craziest part. Sure. So it doesn't even matter what you go to school for anymore. It really doesn't. Yes. Um, you can go into agriculture education and do any job. You can go into egg business, do any job. You can go to a two-year Ridgewater program in farm management, get any job. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're expanding your knowledge base and your network by going to school. Sure. You don't have to spend $50,000 or $100,000. You can spend $10,000, get some scholarships, right. and you don't have so much money to pay back. It doesn't. It's all about your leadership development. It's about your work ethic and right. your attitude and your integrity. That's what's important. It You can learn anything. You can go to YouTube and learn how to do anything you want. Yes. But people are going to train you. We right. When we hire people at Riverview, we hire the person. Yes. We have people right now that we have no idea what they're going to do. But we love them. <laughs> but you thought they were a quality person? They were awesome. They, they fit our culture completely. Yep. And then we just keep them around and show them everything. And they figure out where they fit. And then it's right. great. Because then they find their passion yep. within Riverview. Right. And But we want them. That's all we care about is that. That's almost the opposite of what kids are taught. Oh, it's totally the opposite of what kids are taught. I mean, they're, they're told, like, you've got to do this if you want to do this. you got to do this if you want to do this. Mm -hmm. They do career exp exploration, and it's Googling things, you know, mm -hmm. on, on some job, you know, government job website. Yep. And all they do is go, well, they look up, oh, this is how much this person makes, and this is what we have to go to school for, and they think that's it. But what they don't yep. realize is, like, Riverview culture, probably a lot different than some other cultures and businesses. Yeah, because if you're a crappy person, forget it. You're not getting right. hired. If you have zero leadership skills at all, like no potential whatsoever, because you've never focused on developing yourself, probably not going to fit. Right. You know, but we have a lot of different personalities. Yeah. Uh, that's sure. not everything. <laughs> yeah. But everybody shows promise and everyone's passionate about right. what they want to do. And that's what's important is that people are excited and they want to be part of it and they want to be a team player. Right. And, and that's it. I mean, you, and that's a lot of, a lot of the way the world's going. Are there jobs where you need a certain degree? Absolutely. Right. right? You need the eight year degree. You need the six, whatever it may yeah. be. If that's what you truly want to do, go and do it. But that's a pretty small percentage of kids. They're going to end up working somewhere um, that they probably didn't think they were going to work at. Sure. You know, I always tell kids, you, you don't think you're going to work an egg, but I bet you might. Especially around here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the businesses are egg businesses. You yes. may be doing finance or you may be doing HR or, to, or IT, yep. but you're still working for an egg business. Right. So don't discount the agriculture world because it's probably going to be feeding your kids someday. Accountants? There are private accountants that work for... I'm sure they have... Oh, we have them. Yeah, you have yeah. private accountants. Yeah, we have our own finance department. CPAs yeah. that work a lot with agriculture mm -hmm. around here. Bankers work a lot. Software companies. Yeah. And so, yeah, they can really do anything. Um, and it's all about people that can create relationships and foster positive attitudes right. towards others and towards the job. And create value. And create value. Yes. Make stuff mm -hmm. of value. Yep. So, Natasha, what are the, what's like the next 10 years of your life going to be? 
Riverview is the coolest place ever. Okay. So I have no idea, which is so cool. The, the coolest thing about Riverview that I love that is so different from education is it's extraordinarily progressive. And everybody, it's an LLP, right? Yep, so we yep. have 300 owners. I'm one of them. We're right. 70% employee owned. Yep. So we are all so excited to keep growing that we are going to keep growing if we can. Sure. And the reason that's important is because it shows everybody that we want to create excitement. We want people to be excited about what we're doing. As soon as you stop and settle where you're at, right. there's not a lot of excitement around that. So we're, as a group, just want to keep rolling forward and be one of the, the best animal caretakers and produce the best product we can and be stewards of the land, take care of our environment. That's our focus. And if we can do all that. Feed the world. And feed and feed the people. Yes. We need to feed the people and we're feeding them cheese. So who doesn't love cheese? Everybody loves cheese. I know. And meat. And, me, and meat. Yep. Yep. And beef. Yep. I love meat. It's my favorite. I do too. A lot. So how can people get a hold of you if like if it's a teacher that wants to get a hold of you yeah. to come up a class or Yep, so we are open to tours of any age. I mean we take kindergarten, preschool, all the way up to post-secondary students to any any size group of adults or we take sure. two charter buses at a time. We'll figure it out. So our website is riverviewllp.com. And it. if you click on the education tab, that'll get you to me. There's also a tour um, thing that you can fill out that will go to our office as well. Okay. Um, but we are really open. Um, students can have hands-on experiences at the dairy if they want to. Um, we'll get them like with the animals and doing some things to We've show done them. Yep, to it's show awesome. them. Yeah, to show them what the opportunities are in production A because mm -hmm. We have a lot of opportunities for people and it's good money no right. matter what you're doing because we need good people. And That's the first time you've them. mentioned money though. I would like to, like yeah. you haven't talked, like that didn't really matter That's, to you. No. And that was one of the big points that I wanted you to not mention, which yeah. I love that you didn't mention yeah. it. It's I not like, oh, they offered me a whole bunch of money. That's why I left. No, that I actually took a pay cut. It. Wow. I took a pay cut to yeah. go there. Yeah. And you would do it all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Money's, money's money is right. money. I mean. I don't think that that, is, that should be the designing factor for anyone because you can have all the money in the world and if you hate your job, it doesn't matter. Right. Cool. So they can get a hold of you at the website? Yep. Do you want them, to, would you like anyone to email you? If oh, possible? sure. Natasha.Mortensen at RiverviewLLP.com. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is great. It was kind of fun, huh? I love talking. So <laughs> I'm really As always, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you're in education, keep working on breaking stuff. We need to fix a lot of things. So if you have ideas, if you have, if you have uh, something you'd like to vent about or something that you'd like for us to discuss, feel free to email me, Tyler at BuildMasterEducation.com or find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever works for you. And we'll get discussing those things. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.